0: How you doing? Good. All right. Great. Both of you are great. Uh, My name is Justin, one of the elders, pastors here at Peninsula Grace. It's good to be with you this morning, bringing our need to the need meter, uh, to Jesus who is sufficient, to meet us where we're at with redemption, which is actually what we're talking about this morning. Uh, If if you're new with us, you can follow along. We've got some fill-in-the-blanks in in your bulletin, and if you didn't get a bulletin, back out in the foyer, and then if you need a pen, even back at the welcome table, uh, you can grab one of those, but uh, we're talking about redemption this morning, which is actually a a word that we don't use, I mean, we kind of use it in Bible uh, Bible world, but like, what does that mean, Uh, and and certainly what does that mean uh, for us, and so, uh, I don't know about you, but the first place my brain goes thinking about redemption uh, is the Maybox. Anybody else? Is that just me? Okay. Um, The year, let me tell you, is 1993, and I'm in Mrs. Crane's fourth grade K-Beach Elementary School class. Now, in Mrs. Crane's class, if you got caught bringing something to school that you weren't supposed to, uh, like, let's say, purely hypothetically, a Shaquille O'Neal action figure, and you get caught playing with hypothetical Shaquille. Um, what would happen, uh, if you were playing with him during math time, uh, hypothetically, is that you would get that hypothetical object taken away and put in the very not-hypothetical may box. Now, what that meant was that you may get it back, but it wouldn't be until the month of... No, it was April. It was the, no, it was May. Um, that... And, and you may never see it again, right? That evil Missus Crane and her tricks. And or here's the other way you could get it back. You could earn uh, a hypothetical shack back by what, what she called crane bucks. Okay, if you got enough crane bucks um, that you could then buy that buy that lost object back early. Now they're not they were not real bucks. Uh, which I had to find out the hard way when I tried to exchange them at shortstop for some basketball cards and a large root beer, uh, <laughs> of saving one out of bondage or slavery to sin, error, uh, or or evil. I was saving... Jack from uh, the Maybox, rescuing him out. Now, in our uh, foundations class, we've been talking about the story of the Bible, and the way we've been kind of summarizing the Bible, is to say it this way, that the Bible is a unified story, one story, about God. It's a story of God, redeeming a people through Jesus. That's how He redeems us. And this is found in, in these 66 books of the Bible. So the, really what we're saying is the story of the Bible is a story of how God bought his people back. How he saved them, rescued them from their sin, regained what was lost, cleared our debt through a costly payment to set his people free, to let his people go. Huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, 90s kids in the house. Come on. Um, but unlike me in the fourth grade, like I, so I lost Shack due to my own bad behavior, right? God didn't lose us. We were the rebellious uh, ones that rebelled against Him. We put ourselves in the maybox a need rescued from that fall. Now, in this series, we've been talking about the story of the Bible. We've been saying the story is about God and the worship of that God. And we've been looking at these different movements. And two weeks ago, we looked at creation, that God created us, and therefore our lives are to be lived in response back to him in worship by the way that we live. But we saw last week, Pastor Ross walked us through the, the fall. And that we did not respond rightly, and we, fall and fell, fall, we have fallen, and, and we need to call out to our God, crying out for rescue. And what we're going to see this week is that through the story of the Bible, and it's true today, When people cry out to God for rescue, for redemption, God is always, will always be a God who rescues, who redeems. And next week we'll wrap this little series up with looking at consummation. But this morning we're going to look at redemption. We're going to look at three things. What we need, confidence or certainty in one's own abilities. But I would take umbrage with that when it comes to our own lives to know that we're good with God. thats I cannot put confidence in any of my own abilities. There was a Saturday Night Live sketch years ago, and the guy Stuart Smalley, he, would, he had these daily affirmations, and he would say, get up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And if I say that over and over again, the idea is that I will kind of affirm myself and my value, and who I am, that I am smart enough, that I am good enough. And doggone it, is that a church word? I'll get, well, the elders will let me know if not. Um, so what we're really, our culture would say, right, this, this lines up with the message today. Believe in yourself. And, and, and sometimes I, I think this, this idea has even permeated the church culture, and that we want to say that inside we're really good. Like we'll use the expression, but deep down I know they're a good person. But here's the, that's in love, God says, that's, that's not true. Like, in, in the deep, as a sinner, deepest down, we were broken, we were crooked, we were wicked. In fact, more than we could ever know. God spoke through a prophet named Jeremiah. and He was talking to the people who had been deceived by these false prophets. And, and he says to them, um, through Jeremiah, he says, these false prophets, they offer superficial treatments... For my people's mortal wound. He says, you're trying to put bandages on an arm that's been torn off. He says, they give assurances of peace when there is no peace. In fact, so what he's saying is these these false prophets were saying, it's okay, they're there, peace, peace. And he says, no, the reality is things are not okay. It's assurance without confession of sin. It's trying to take some good news without acknowledging that there is bad news. The reality is it doesn't matter if I think I'm good enough, smart enough, and if doggone it, people like me. It doesn't matter if somebody else says you're good enough, you're smart enough, well, that you've sinned against here. What is he saying when he says against you and you alone have I sinned? Well, ultimately, as our creator, as our judge, as our God, every sin, even if we sin against somebody else, it's ultimately a sin against our God and what he has called us in to be as our maker. So he's not saying that we haven't sinned against someone else. He's saying, ultimately, this sin is against God. Last week, Ross took us through the Pharisee who thought he was good enough because he, he thought he had performed better than the people around him. Now, that was delusional on a couple fronts. But, but we have to be careful here not to compare ourselves with other people around us and just try to be the best person on our neighborhood's street. The question is, do we measure up to God's standard? And the Bible tells us no one has, and on their own, no one can. So the question is, how does God see us? I was talking to a friend recently who had been a part of a church who was, she was basically being told on a weekly basis, you are a, a worm that you are worthless, that you just need to try to scrape yourself up off the cement and hope that God will kind of plug his nose and, and put up with you. right? You can just get the warm fuzzies even from here, can't you? Like, it's, often, it's often been said, as, as we think about the storyline that we're talking through, that before we can appreciate the good news, before we can see how good the good news is, that we have to understand the, the, the bad news. And I, and I would totally agree with that. If we don't understand the depths of our sin, we're not going to cry out for a savior. But but here's the thing, what we, that's not actually where the story starts. Like The beginning of the story goes back even farther than the fall, than the bad news, and it says that we were created by a God who loves us, by a God who made us in his image as his... This is what Jesus he says when he's looking at Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, I long to gather you under my wings like a hen longs to bring in her baby chicks. Tim Keller, who who often says it far better than I could, he says, the gospel says we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, and that is the truth. But we don't even fully comprehend the depths of the bad news. And he says, yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dared hope. But how do we know? How do we know that God has accepted us back What's our proof? We said, what's the assurance? How can we really know? Well, we said what we need is vertical redemption, and what we have is a redeemer. What we have is a redeemer. What did God do to redeem us? I see a beautiful picture, although it is definitely flawed, in a movie. Um, Again, we're going back to the 90s. Uh, John Q, my my, my boy Denzel. Um, John Q's son in in the movie, he collapses during a baseball game. Turns out he needs a heart transplant, and it's going to be... $250,000 for the surgery, and he's got to put $75,000 down just to get on a transplant list. And this was a couple decades ago, so probably far more than that now. John and his wife, they don't have that money, and so they do what any panicking parent would do in that scenario. They hold the entire hospital hostage, right? Isn't that what you would do? So this is where, remember, all analogies break down, right? So just stay with me here. So (laughs) what they do, they're, they're trying to get on that transplant list. So he's going to say, I'm going to hold everybody hostage until you get us on this list. But he had a backup plan. And one of them was he was actually, he was going to take his own life and give his son his own heart. And he was going to give, get one of the doctors there that he's holding. And I'm willing to give you mine. You need life. And I'm willing to lay down my own to set you free from death, to be back in relationship with you. They, they say that having a child is like having your heart burst outside of your chest and it's like walking around. My child's not walking around yet. She sits and does this a lot. But um, I'm starting to understand a little bit of what that means. And God says, I proved to you my love for you in giving you my own son. What the proof of his love, Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us in what? In that while we were still sinners, while we were still estranged from him, Rebelling against him, Christ, his own son, died for us. This is the proof of love and it's the price of grace. Last week we said we are called to come together and confess our sin to God. But now that Christ has come, the beautiful thing is we can get an immediate response, a word of assurance back that he hears our confession and forgives us and, and continues to walk with us. And this is why it's so important to know where we're at in the story. I loved when I, when I was in Bible school, our teacher, uh, Butch, he would always get up in class, and every week, no matter what he was teaching on, he would go up to the whiteboard, and he would draw this timeline of history. And he'd put us, and he'd show where we were at in that history, and it was such a helpful like, orientation to remember where we're at in the story of God. All the other teachers were doing PowerPoints at the time, and Butch, old school guy, he'd say, Here's the power." And here's the point, right? And he would just write on the whiteboard. and <laughs> was like, all right, butch. Um, but what, what he was showing us here was, man, how, we asked the question at the beginning, how do we know if we're actually saved? How can we know? How can we receive this assurance? And I think sometimes see his son back. And if we can look back and say, yes, I believe today, right now, I believe that Jesus has died in my place. I believe that he is alive today. That's where we're going to find our assurance. And that's where we can say, like Job, I know. I know my Redeemer lives. And I want to tease out this nuance because I think there's actually a big difference here. Our faith is not what saves us. Our faith is not. We're saved through faith. But it is not our faith itself that saves us. Here's the distinction. It's the object of our faith. That saves us. We all have faith in something. We're trusting in something all the time. There's no neutral, like, I'm just not believing in anything. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not on the table for us. The question is, what's the object of our faith? So think about it this way. Think about an ice rink or a, a frozen lake. Like if Wayne Gretzky goes out there, like he's probably pretty sure of his skating abilities, right? So he's out on that ice with all confidence. And then you got Bambi out there, right? Now, on the same ice, Right? Not nearly the confidence or agility is the great one. But here's the thing. It doesn't. It, what, what matters here is not the confidence of the skater, but the thickness of the ice. Will the ice really hold them? That's the, the truth of the ice is what saves. In him, the Bible says, in Christ we have, here's the truth, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace. And maybe you're here today skating on that ice with all the joy and confidence in the world and maybe you're just slip sliding and falling all over it like Bambi. But the required price has been paid and the only issue is if we step onto that ice or not. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient to hold us? We have a Redeemer, which gives us what we needed, redemption before God. But then this leads to, the third thing, that it leads to a horizontal redemption. The beautiful thing about Christ's redeeming work is that it doesn't just bring us back into relationship with the Father, but we actually get a whole. here, there he is. Like Calder, like my, we we've known each other since high school. Like, the Hillier family, they had a a stranglehold. You know, in the the yearbook, when you had, like, all the different superlatives, their whole family was, like, everybody's pal for, like, 16 years running, right? Like, you can't not love the Hilliers. I see Calder, I want to give him a big bear hug, same with his whole family, right? Easy to love. Like, everybody, Putin would be like, yes, like, Calder's my boy, right? Uh, (laughs) But let, let me be Straight with you, there are a few faces today that I would have a hard time wanting to give a hug to. Maybe I'd want to squeeze them very tight, right? See if some of the blood of the lamb would come out. But that's another story. Um, So I just want you to, for a minute, think in your mind's eye. If it helps, you can close your eyes just to focus. But think about who who is that person that's hard for you to welcome right now? Like who would that be person for you be to that would be hard to live in harmony with? Now, picture them in your mind's eye coming towards you. Would you be able to welcome them? Would you be able to, to bring them in close for a hug? Would you be able to accept them? Would you want to hide from them? Would you want to punch them? What, what would your reaction be? Now, you're lucky because in the New Testament, they were called to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, let's do some cultural exegesis before we have a weird ending of the service here. Um, so in the moment, like they, they would, very culturally appropriate was to kiss one another on either side, kind of like the European thing, kiss each other on either side of the, the, the cheek. The point was, that very counterculturally, culturally we, we are a family now. And so we greet one another with warmth, as we would a sibling, as we would a, a family member. So maybe that is a hug, if, it, if it's an appropriate thing. And maybe it's just a warm, like, maybe it's just simply looking at someone in the eyeball and saying, how are you doing, and meaning it, like waiting for the response with joy and peace. Why do we do this? Why are we called to be like this? Well, Galatians 3, Paul says it this way, for you are all, he's talking to the family of God, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Who specifically? All who have been united with Christ. So we're talking about the church, the body of, it's a lot harder for me to love the Pharisee, the self-righteous hypocrite. Now, Ross talked on this last week, like they say that we usually struggle to love the people that we're most like. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm self-righteous. Um, Jesus' teachings are rarely easy, and, and this is no exception. He says in Matthew 6, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, if you're like me at first blush, it's like, whoa, wait a second. That feels like a works salvation type thing. Like, we have to forgive others and then we'll be forgiven of our sins? I thought we were just freely receiving that in Christ. We look at the whole of Scripture. That's not, I don't think, what Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching here is, Pete Schizero says it this way, we can't give away what we don't possess. We can't give away what we put. If I don't have it, I can't give it away, right? So what Jesus is saying, if you have not understood your forgiveness before the Father, If if you've not freely received the forgiveness that he offers you in Christ, then you will not be the kind of person who can give it away. If you haven't received his forgiveness, you're not going to be distributing it. So that's evidence that you don't really understand your forgiveness from the Father if you're not willing to forgive the people around you. Ephesians 4, he talks about it this way. What does this forgiveness look like? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, anger. Harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, what what should we do instead? Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, I, I want to pause here, because we, we talk about there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Because maybe for some of you guys, you're getting a picture in your head of a person that's been abusing you pretty badly, And it actually would not be wise to try to go anywhere near physically, let alone try to hug. What we're talking about here is what we can control. To reconcile means both people stepping back toward each other in a healthy manner. But to forgive is a one-way street. And what we're called here, to forgive literally means to let go of. And what Paul says is let go of that anger. No less to our God in rebelling against him, worshiping other gods, cheating on our God. And what he's he's saying, man, is if we refuse to forgive somebody else, we are essentially saying my standard is higher than God's standard. And until we understand the depth of our sin and understand that God freely forgave us, that he loved us so much, he was willing to send his own son to die in our place, full, free redemption available in Jesus like Until we understand that kind of love that we're called into, we're never going to humble ourselves and say, God, I could never love someone outside of you. I could never forgive someone outside of you. We have to freely receive it so that we can freely give it away. In our vision series, we've been talking about worship. And we said that Romans 12 defines worship this way. It says worship is presenting our bodies to God. So our part in worship is to give ourselves to God not just singing songs and saying, all of me, God, belongs to you rightly. And then his part says that the result is that we will be transformed. As we give ourselves to God, he is going to change us into something new. He's going to make us more and more like Jesus. And we've been saying our focus has been that how we worship as we gather, like even right now as believers... How we gather, what we're doing here, what we're leaning into and focusing on is going to impact the way that we go out from here and live the rest of our lives in worship for the other six days of the week. So what does that look like here? We want to talk about rehearsing it here so that we can go out as we scatter and and we can live it out the, the other six days of the week. So first of all, the rehearsals here. How do we practice what we've been talking about today together? Well, one of the central practices that we have as the church that Jesus Christ gave us himself, is what we call communion, or the bread and the cup, some call it the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. This is recognizing our vertical redemption with our Redeemer, and we're actually going to take the elements here, in just just a moment, we're going to do this, um, and what this is for, if you're here this morning, and you look back 2,000 years ago, and you say, I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross, if I'm not ready to say those words yet, maybe what's holding me back, like what's impeding me from being able to say those things? So what we're going to do is we're going to start in the front rows. Hey, we've got some people in the front rows this morning. Extra credit for you guys. Um, so we're going to, um, if you're in the front row, so at the, at the back, there are these little t- round tables, and each of them has a, a two-for-one. There's the juice and the cup in the same, so you just need to grab one little thing. And, and you're going to start from the back. We're going to go back row to, uh, front row to back rows, and you get out, exit on your left, go back and get the elements, and then come back and circle back. So you go out from your left and then circle back the other way to your seat, and then once we're all seated, seated together, we'll, we'll re some scripture together and then take those elements. So I'm going to be reading this but let's go ahead and so first rows you guys can get up and start going um, if that's you. And and as you're going I want to read for a Psalm 51. Just be hearing these words and seeing this is you. Have mercy on me O God because of your unfailing love because of your great compassion blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me take a moment as we're gathering these elements to just before the Lord. Do I believe this? Is this where I'm at before my God? love because of your great compassion blot out the stain of my sins wash me clean from my guilt purify me from my sin for I recognize my rebellion it haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned I have done what is evil in your sight you will be proved right in what you say And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. It's against him and him alone that we've sinned. And so it's him and him alone that can offer good news. But we have today. We don't have to guess. Like, Are we going to be forgiven? Are we forgiven? There's a word of assurance that I just want to read to you, speak over you, Hebrews chapter 6. Let's listen to our God. He says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would not change his mind. God's not taking us back. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Maybe you come in needing that anchor this morning. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. You say, how do we, those, no, we just confessed our sin, how do we, the sinner, enter into the presence of a God in whom there is no sin, there is no darkness in Him. He dwells in the Holy of Holies. How do we enter into that space? He says in verse 20, Jesus has already gone in there for us. That Jesus tore the temple's curtain in two, and by the blood of the innocent lamb, we have been made clean and acceptable in God's sight. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Healed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that this morning? That our Like We have this assurance, and it doesn't come from somebody else. It doesn't come from within us. It's what God says in his word, his written word, about the living word. The question is simply, will we skate out onto that ice? We put all our chips into who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. The last night before Jesus died, he was speaking with his disciples around the table at the Passover meal. He was talking with them. And what he said, and this is our question this morning, did Jesus really say this? And can we really believe his words? And if so, we're going to take these elements together. The first thing he did, he said he took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we ask ourselves, do you believe that word, that his body was broken so that we could be made whole? If you believe that, and you take the first little layer off there, I haven't already? So, he said, "Do this in remembrance of me." Let's take the bread together. He goes on to say in verse twenty, after he after supper he took another cup of wine and said, "This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with My blood, which is poured out." as a sacrifice for you. Jesus says this blood, is, it, 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 it's a covenant. It's an oath-bound promise that we are redeemed, that we've been bought back, to be adopted back as sons and daughters of the living God again because of what Jesus did for us. And if you believe that, in remembrance of Him, let's take the cup together. Because of what Christ has done, can skate out onto that ice, and we have blessed, blessed assurance. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Have a seat. But it's not just a vertical redemption that he has purchased for us. There's also a horizontal redemption. We're not eating this meal alone. I really want us to picture a family table. Uh, and actually for hundreds of years, that's where the early Christians, they met around tables in homes as they took this supper. And we're doing the same thing. We're, we, we, we pulled from a table in the back, a little table, which is a small symbol. I tried to get the deacons to get us a big table in the middle. We could all sit around today, but they weren't able to pull that off. They were fired immediately, don't you worry. For some of us, this is a hard picture, like if we're honest. Maybe the family you've come from or even the family you currently find yourself in, to picture a healthy um, dinner together, there might be some impediment to that. And this is what sin has done. It's fractured relationship. It's damaged all relationships. But in Christ, in Christ, we can be made new, not just with God, but with one another. This is what Ephesians 2 says. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jew and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So again, I want you to just close your eyes for a second, if you will, if you can, and just picture that person that we, we thought of earlier, or those people, that person that you might consider your enemy, or at least someone that you're not a big fan of right now, And just picture yourself saying to that person, God loves you. God has forgiven you in Christ. Say, I love you. I've forgiven you in Christ. And honestly, maybe you're not there yet where you can actually say that and and mean it, believe it. And that's okay. We're praying for a heart that Christ forms in us that that will get to that place eventually. But I want us that you can open it. But actually live this out in the rhythms of the Monday through Saturday. So just a couple of homework assignments. They're optional. But we consider, first of all, our words, words of assurance that we hear from God. What does it look like to be with Jesus? A homework assignment that I'd offer to you this week is to go back to that passage that we were just reading from in Luke when Jesus is sitting down with his disciples at the table and offering them his body and his blood. And to ask yourself before God, do I really believe this? Do I believe what God says about what Jesus has done for me? And that I'm now, just like those disciples, welcomed to the table. And not just to kind of believe some information, but what Jesus has done is given us access into God's presence. And we have that right now. Like, I don't know how, it's, a lot of times I'm sitting there reading my Bible, and I don't even really think about the fact that I'm actually in the presence of God right now. Like, that was what Jesus got for us. And so, what does it look like, though, to sit with His Word and to be communing with the living Word, with Jesus? And if you're like me, I need some help with that. So one tool that I found really helpful, there's a guide called Lectio Divina. It just means divine reading or like reading with God. Um, there's, a, there's a tool on our website you can, you can go to. You've got to type that thing in and it'll take you there. And this is just a guide that helps us take a passage of Scripture and just walk through it in the presence of God. And this has been so transformative to me to read aware that I'm with God right now as I'm interacting with Him and His truth. I just encourage you to spend some time with him and let this tool just be a guide into the presence of God. But then there's also the passing of the peace. Not only can we commune with Jesus now, but in him we can commune with one another. So maybe you find yourself in a season without a lot of community. Maybe there are people even all around you, but you don't really feel like you're known or you don't really know the people around you. What does it look like to take a step deeper into real, the harmony that we now have because Jesus broke down that wall of hostility? Maybe for you, that's just actually stepping into community, taking that scary step, that awkward step in uh, to plugging in. You go, But I don't even know how to do that. And maybe you've been attempt, attempt to reconcile with, or at least in your own heart, to, to look toward forgiveness toward that person that person that came into your mind when you had your eyes closed earlier, what does it look like to forgive them the same way that God has forgiven us? We cannot do that apart from the Jesus that we just symbolized, the embodying of. He's now in us. And with Christ in us, we can now do what we could never do on our own. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. We thank you that we have been bought back, rescued from the Maybox into your presence forever. Now and for eternity, Father, we can be your sons and daughters once again because of the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. I pray for those in this room this morning um, that, that need to get out onto the ice, and whether they're falling all over it like Bambi or confidently, joyfully skating around like Gretzky. Lord, that we would put all of our weight onto that ice because it's the ice that we believe that will hold us, the finished work of what Jesus has done. And would you move in our hearts to the people that we need to release that anger and bitterness and slanderous speech toward and to live in kindness and tenderheartedness toward them. Would you give us the wisdom and the power and the love to do that? That's hard.